What's going on, everybody, and welcome to Casual Conversation with Will and Gary. Thanks for stopping by. Episode number 42 coming at you today, and this was a special episode indeed. Joining me and Gary on this episode, we had his dad, Mr. Sam Collins. Now, I've known Sam a long time. I've known Gary a long time, too, and he's just an all-around great guy, very interesting to talk to, a very a very smart man, a very hardworking man. Uh, that I respect a lot, so I'm glad we got to talk to him. We talk about a few things. We talk about what it was like growing up when he was a kid. We talk about how society and the times are changing. Um, we talk about what it's like to be a father and a husband and, and all that entails. So uh, all around, it was just a good casual conversation that we had with him, and I'm real glad that he got to come on and be a part of it. So without further ado, I want to thank you guys once again for stopping by, and please enjoy the show. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to Casual Conversation with Will and Gary. Yeah, yeah. Episode uh, 42. 42. 42. Blue 42. I don't even know what episode it is, to be honest with you. Blue 42, said Hut. <laughs> All right. So we actually have a guest on for this podcast, one that's near and dear to my heart. Oh, yes. <laughs> the legendary, infamous. Coach Sam, that's what I call him anyway. <laughs> Sam Columns. Sammy Lowell Columns. Hello, hello. <laughs> All right, so uh, before we kick off uh, and ask uh, how everybody's week has been, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, Dad. Uh, well, uh, I'm Sam Columns number two. My dad's Sam Col- Sammy Columns number one. Uh, he was on the show several uh, several uh, podcasts back. Uh I was born and raised right here in Bee Branch, Arkansas. Graduated from Southside High School back in 1984. I come up in a little different era than uh, than you guys did, I'm sure. Uh, lots of things have changed in my lifetime. Uh, I've seen lots of stuff in my 53 years of living. Uh, you know, you can, uh, just like y'all have seen a lot of uh, of things change just in y'all's short life. Uh, it, it moves fast these days, but, uh, I graduated 84 from Southside, uh, moved to B branch back to B branch after living in Conway for nine years. I started, uh, I started off at, uh, the current job I'm in in, uh, 1989 as Christmas help at UPS. Been there ever since. I'm number five on the seniority list. Had several jobs prior to that. Did a little college stint. Uh, I was an old C student from Southside. You know, I just kind of rock <laughs> along. <too. laughs> I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm really uh, uh, an example of of God takes care of fools and idiots because you know I've I've had a pretty good pretty good thing going on for several years and and uh, I always been looked out after uh, at all the nut job crazy things that I've done so. That's there you pretty go. much it. <laughs> good intro. That was a good intro. Good intro. That was the most thorough intro that we've ever had. I Usually, think, yeah. like people are nervous to talk, and when we ask them to uh, to say something about themselves, you know, just get it going, they're like, "Uh, yeah." Uh, they just don't know what to say. I don't know. And Dad was kind of strange. Radio. He he talked on the radio back in the day, didn't you, Dad? Yeah, I, I right out of high school. Uh, I graduated May eleventh, nineteen eighty four. 
piddling around a few jobs here and there. Really didn't want to, at that, at that point in time, I really didn't want too much of a job as milking cows. And, uh, you know, back in the day, uh, when I was a young man, before round bales of hay, there were square, square bales of hay, and you could go out and you could make a living. I was making a living milking some cows, hauling some hay, you know, digging some ditches, doing this and that. Uh, helped my stepbrother Dennis with pulp wood, this and that. And I did that for a, a portion of the summer. And then uh, I got the opportunity, and uh, thanks Sid King up in Clinton at the radio station, KGFLKHBQ, gave me an opportunity as a young man to come up and and work a little bit at the radio station and and I worked evenings uh on on AM radio and 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 AM radio is is it's a it's a lost art because uh nobody not very many people listen to AM unless you're listening to some kind of talk show these days but AM radio goes off at at sunset unless you have uh an overnight contract with FCC and the reason being a license for overnight is reason being is AM radio travels hundreds of miles at at night after the sun goes down and so I got a job up there at the KGFL country music AM radio and and it uh I got it in August so it was still late I think I went till eight o'clock and then as the fall progressed it went down and before long we went off at five, and so my 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 shift was from five, starting off five to eight or eight thirty, and then like five in the evening, five p.m. to five eight eight, eight p.m. Whenever it got yeah. dark, whenever yeah. it got dark, and and things kind of rolled around there for the few months, and then I had some opportunities to do you know some other shifts and this and that, and so uh, I really enjoyed radio. Uh, I appreciate you know Sid King giving me the opportunity. I I worked country AM and. And then I had the, uh, I had uh, three nights a week on the FM rock and roll station, and I played rock and roll on uh, Wednesday nights through Friday nights. And then I sat uh, during the fall. I was in the, st- I was the in studio guy at the uh, Clinton Yellow Jacket football games. I played all the commercials and done all that stuff when they did the live feed broadcast from the stadium. So that's what I did pretty much in radio. That's neat. That is cool though. <laughs> AM radio. I, I can't say I've ever listened to an AM radio broadcast. I don't think I have. Well, they're really they're they're pretty clear. I mean, they're not. They don't have the sound FM does, but and and they hit staticky. But the the thing about it, and you go back to to ZZ Top back in the '60s, and they did a song called "Heard It on the X," and that's talking about uh, FM or AM radio stations down in Mexico. That was the stations, uh, and they would play, they would just shoot out 100,000-watt AM radio stations playing all kinds of wild, crazy rock and roll music and stuff over AM overnight, and you could hear it up in the Canada. I mean, because it's so powerful. You know, if, if you look back at in history of radio, AM radio stations were the big ones, WLS, Chicago, and all that. They were big ones. Uh, but uh, like around here back in the, probably the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, uh, you could pick up the Grand Ole Opry on Saturday night on your AM radio station right here out of, uh, I can't remember, WSM out of uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And it's still on air now. Uh, you can still listen to w, uh, WSM 
but it's six six hundred something on the AM dial. But that's what people did back in the day before you had really good TV stations and you didn't have a whole lot of music you could buy. And a lot of people would turn on AM radio on Saturday nights and check out AM radio and listening to the Grand Ole Opry or there was some uh, Louisiana hoedown or something down in Louisiana and they put on a show, you know, on the radio and that's what people did. So, yes. little, hi- little history of AM radio. Yeah, right. there, there you yeah. go. I was actually, you're you're making me think, um, like what. What do you think, as far as like the history of radio, you, you mentioned the history of radio, what do you think podcasts are doing to that? Is that, is that like, do you think that's just the evolution of radio is, is turning into that, or what are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I, AM radio evolved into talk radio, whether it be sports talk, political talk. You know, you listen to a guy like Rush Limbaugh, he's on 600-plus stations, 20 million you know, listeners a day, pretty much. And and other than that, there's not a lot on AM radio. But I, I think podcasts, podcasts are an, just another avenue of people to get their ideas or their opinions or whatever out there. And it's just an opportunity to put stuff out there, just like on YouTube, uh, you you don't have to have like a record deal to make music now and and get it out to the public. You can put it out on YouTube, but that's kind of like a podcast. You don't have to, I mean, a couple of hundred dollars worth of equipment and you can put all your ideas and all your gimmicks or whatever you're doing out on the internet for everybody in the world to be able to gather. And so it's kind of crazy when you think about it. This podcast right here, Somebody can be listening to this in 30 years from now in England. Just pull up just out of the blue, <laughs> you know. So you, that's that's pretty amazing. Uh, that's a pretty amazing concept for me that that uh, the amount of podcasts, because I, I, I got into the podcast probably a few years ago. I didn't know I had the app on my phone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just... Somebody was talking about somebody's podcast, and I just said, well, I got an app right here that says podcast, and I get on there, and there's millions yeah, of podcasts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of, of every anything that you can think about, there's somebody on a podcast talking about it. So, Yeah, that's crazy. You literally just described ours, like a couple hundred bucks worth of gear, and here we are in a dream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not really a dream, but just... Started sharing our ideas. Started with the from the bottom, baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my gosh! So, um, yeah. Well, I mean, we're just kind of, kind of going into it. So, what, uh, what was it like growing up in Bee Branch, like as, a, as a kid, as compared to how the world is now? Well, it was a, it was a very simple time. Um, not everybody had a vehicle like we do now. I mean. Back in the day, uh, you know, when when you went to church, there wasn't as many cars in the parking lot because everybody loaded up one car and went to church, and not everybody drove separately. Uh, most kids rode the school bus to to school. There there was there was not a line at the end of the day for parents picking up their kids because most everybody rode the school bus. Uh, in a small town like Bee Branch, we knew everybody. 
and everybody knew us. Um, you knew most of the kids' parents. They knew you. Uh, that's one of the things. You know, I, I was a little bit of a rebel rouser, but I never really went over the line. And simply because my, my dad was county clerk, county and circuit clerk in Van Buren County from before I was born until after I graduated. And then my mom was from this community also. They both graduated from Southside High School. So everybody knew them. All the te- Hey, if I got in trouble at school, my mom knew it before I ever got home because she got a call. And it was not a good situation when you got off the bus and she was out there waiting on you. You knew. <laughs> That's always a bad feeling. It is a bad <laughs> feeling. It's a bad feeling. But, you know, it's one of those deals, like I say, I was kind of, I was a little bit of a rebel rouser. I, I, I would get on the edge but never went over the edge. And, and the main reason I didn't get over the edge is because I had a lot of respect for both of my parents. And I didn't want to shame them because, you know, they'd, if you got out there and you got too bad to go, who, who's that? Who's that over? Is that, is that that Columns boy? What? Well, you know. And I did. I didn't want to be that one that that shamed my parents. So I, as rambunctious as I was, I never went over the edge. But you know, when when I was a kid, uh, we rode our bikes. There wasn't as much. I mean, there was traffic, but there wasn't as much traffic. Uh, we were all friends. We we called each other on the phone. We got together on Saturdays in the fall and played, out, you know, backyard football. Um, it, it, there was times that we'd have ten or twelve people at our house on Saturday mornings, wrestling or playing football, and it, it, it was no. We didn't wear pads. It was no tag football. It was it was pretty rough, uh, and it was kids from, you know, ten or twelve years old up to fourteen. I mean, so it's a wide variety of kids. Is all of our our neighbor kids, which was family, and uh, so we we did that as a young kids. And then as you get older, I was fortunate enough. I got a truck about three or four months after I turned sixteen years old, and I've always wanted to work. I've always wanted to make money, and uh, and so as soon as I got my truck and stuff. Uh, we had square belt hay back then. Nobody hardly round belt. They didn't start that till after I'd graduated. Maybe probably eighty six, two years after I graduated, everybody kind of got more round belt hay. But when I was a kid, you could make a living, a pretty good living, just hauling hay. And uh, I'd get a crew, and and we'd go haul hay in my truck. I could haul thirty to thirty five bales a, a load. And if the barn was in the in the field or close to the field, I could go out and make, uh, we made 24 cents a bale to haul hay for your crew. And so I would split that up with me and one other person and the truck. And so I would give them eight cents a bale. I would take eight cents a bale and the truck made eight cents a bale. Well, we tried to make a hundred bales an hour back in the day and, and you would, that would be eight bucks an hour. And back in 1982, 83, 84, Eight dollars an hour was a pretty dang good wage, and I was making sixteen because I had the truck. So it's a pretty good, pretty good deal. And I worked for a lot of people around, you know, the area doing various things. Uh, we played wiffle ball, uh, basketball, football. Uh, we we did a lot of driving around. You know, you go to, on the weekends, you go just everybody drove around. Nobody had a vehicle with an air conditioner in it, so in the summertime, you had all your windows open, your radio playing, 
and everybody wanted to have a loud radio. And uh, about once ever six or eight weeks, you know, we'd get together and we'd plan it for a couple of weeks and I'd get a couple of buddies and we'd like, hey, let's go to Conway Saturday, you know, and we'd all put in two or three dollars a piece and, and get six or seven dollars worth of gas, which gas was 80 something cents a gallon back then. And was like, hey, let's go to Conway. And we'd have enough money to go down. And all you wanted to do down there was cruise around because there's a lot of people cruising. Conway was a really cruising town. There's a lot of cool rigs. I've heard I've heard a lot of people say that. You yeah. should just go and just ride around. Ride around. Yeah. You could you could cruise the cruise the strip down there and I mean there was a lot of cool vehicles down there and and you just want to go down and, and we had enough money that we could go down and ride around for a couple, three hours, maybe go get a hamburger and a coke. And then about ten thirty when, when you got down to almost out of gas and there and i had friends that had to be home by eleven thirty or 12 and we'd come on home and that was a big that was a big night for us i mean you know we were in conway and that was a big night for us so you know it's it's pretty simple it's pretty simple life uh, back then uh everybody was patriotic for the most part and uh you know it was a small town america everybody knew everybody most everybody was friends. If you wasn't, you you get into it, and then you're over it the next day, and it wasn't no big deal, you know. So pretty simple life. Yeah. There's beauty and simplicity, though. That's true. We talked about that a lot. That's crazy, though. Just thinking about, I'm trying. What what did we do when we were kids? Like we did for a while. There's like a certain time when you're 10, 11, 12 years old. We did the same thing you guys did. You know, we'd play outside, play with our friends, play football. But then I think the teenage years are what are really different from or our teenage years are what's really different from your teenage years, you know, because technology and electronics were so, are, were so much, you know, farther ahead. I don't know. It's just crazy to think about the different times. Like when we were the same age, I for sure didn't get a job till I was 18 years old. So I didn't even have a job when I was a teenager when I was in school, that is. So, and I'm sure a lot of people had jobs. Oh know. yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't really have per se a job, but I did. I worked around and, and, you know, I'm, when I was younger, I mowed the post office yard here in B branch and it paid $7 and 50 cents. And I used my dad's push mower and I go over and mow the yard, you know, and I had a friend of mine that lived up on the hill across the road from my dad. We had a, we had associated farmers co-op right across the road from the house, a feed store, you know, and that's where all the old guys would, would gather up over there. But uh, my friend worked over there and, and he'd say, Hey, uh, we're getting a truck in Saturday and, uh, uh, they'll, they'll hire you and they'll give you five bucks. You'll come help me unload that trailer, you know, full of feed. And I'm like, okay, you know, so I'd do that and I'd mow the yard down here. And then in the summer I'd haul hay, uh, I mowed several yards or whatever, you know, whatever I need to do, I would do, but I always worked enough, you know, to kind of get along. But, uh, it was pretty simple, but we, we didn't like, the social media thing's big. Cell phones are big because we didn't have those. Um, I can remember when I was a kid before I got old enough to drive, I had a bicycle. We rode bicycle everywhere. And uh, and a lot of people gathered up down here at Snappy's on Saturday nights. You know, they'd go to town and their dates would have to be home at a certain time. And about 10 o'clock, I'd ride my bike down to Snappy's, you know, and, and a lot of the older guys would hang out down there. You know, they were high school guys. and We'd sit down there and visit till, you know, whatever time everybody had to go home. But if you needed to call somebody, there was a payphone down there and you'd, you know, you'd cost you a dime and you'd have to call somebody on the payphone at their house because nobody had cell phones. 
Yeah, that's crazy. I was trying to think. What did we, like in the summer times? Um, you know, we'd play basketball and go fishing and stuff. But uh, video games. I, I'd try to. I was. I couldn't remember what I did all the time when I was a teenager during the summer because I was home by myself all the time. Video games. That's what I would do. Video games are huge. Video games are huge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the the cell phones I feel like definitely changed a lot of the things that we did. Not only the cell phones, but just like technology in general. Yeah, for sure, for so, sure. That's crazy. So, I, um, and and like you said, I I guess now looking back, like I mean, I didn't have a job per se, but like I would weed eat like cemetery, I'd weed eat like other places, and do just like odd jobs to make a little money here. And uh, yeah, there I think that's gas. what we did. I didn't have like an actual job where. I got an actual paycheck from an employer, but I would do things, you know, for it, for different people. And during high school, like during the summer, we actually did have jobs for Boston Mountain. Oh yeah, we did, didn't we? Yeah, I, that was that was one of the better jobs we had until we got our like actual jobs that we have now. Well, I guess I'm unemployed, but <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was hard, just like for you guys. It was hard to have an actual job when you're playing sports, but you know, back. You know, when when we got out of high school and, you know, when we got during the summer between school, we, we had baseball games. We we still played baseball up until I guess I, I when I graduated high school, I was through with baseball. But probably my junior year, I played a little bit of American Legion baseball and we'd go out and haul hay, you know, most of the day and then go play a ball game that night. And you just sucked it up and done it because that's what you had to do. But, uh, it you know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't trade. I wouldn't trade my youth and, and childhood for anybody today because it was good. I had. A, I mean, I really, I really had a lot of friends uh, from from all over. I had a lot of friends. I had a lot of good times. Uh, it was just a good time. We we had a. The difference too is the video. When you're talking video games, uh, you know we had we had some some video games i never really got into video games at my house but we had some video games people had them but but there was a little arcade here in in b branch and um it it was a a gas station and then they they made a put a few games in the back and then the gas station didn't do so well but the video the arcade did really well and they opened it up in a the old feed store right there by it they went in and put in pool tables and had video games, and they had pool tournaments on Saturday nights, and and so everybody. I mean, then you had somewhere to go, and then you you played video games in the arcade. See, that's a thing of the past. That doesn't. There's no arcades anymore because you have more. Whether well, I guess there are a few arcades, but you have more online access, o- online access, and sophisticated games at your house than they do. At the arcades, yeah. So, so why, why go? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and honestly, like that, that's one of those things. Like when you go to an arcade, like you do get like a different type of connection with people. It's like you share a time and space with them, not just like yeah. over a you, headset. I mean, because you can play two player. You know, you and your buddy are playing on the same game. You know, so yeah. It's like, and, and your buddy may be five hundred miles away. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Now at the arcade, you can play two player, and you right. can yeah, like be on the you same know, game. like at the arcade, yeah. like I got those like motorcycles that sit yeah. side by side, and it's like you have to like lean on the motorcycles. Yeah, it's like, dude, that's a totally different experience than you know Xbox and or PS4 and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's true. Well, Which both are both are great. I'm not bashing either one, but you know, you do get a different level of connectivity when you're with somebody doing something. 
one of the big things that that happened probably when oh I was I might have already graduated when this when this came about, but uh, they come out with uh, VCRs and VCRs. Uh, yeah, VCRs. <laughs> That's crazy. And and when Eric, was that? When uh, when. I think because I, I was telling my dad, I'll tell you this this story one time. I, I was telling my dad, I, I had some friends in Conway, and I went down to visit them one time. We went down to the local uh, rental, video rental place, which is a, an obsolete thing these days. And we rented a VCR and a couple of movies and come back and watched them. And I come back and told my dad, I said, man, I need to, I need to open up a video rental store in Clinton and 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 rent and sell VCRs and rent video, you know, video movies. And he's like, oh, that'll never, that'll never take, you know, it'll never take off. Well, it wasn't six months later, and they had a place up there called Quick Flick Video up there by Pizza Hut. And, and they, I mean, you were renting a video machine a night. It was like six bucks. And, and, a, v, and a videotape was three ninety five or something. This is back in the 80s. I mean, you're talking, go rent a, a movie and a VCR. It's going to cost you 15, 20 bucks. And that's a lot of money back in the eighties. And then of course, everybody started buying VCRs. Then you go rent, you know, videos, VCR movies and stuff. And, and as a, as a youth, especially when I got into college, you don't have any money. And so, uh, we would all get together on Saturday nights and, and watch movies, you know, you'd watch two or three movies or whatever, you know, that's what you did a lot. People, Hey, we're going to go over and watch a movie or whatever. And now you it's streaming online, you know, you got Netflix and you just push a button and you watch whatever you want to watch, you know? Yeah. So that's crazy. That's another, that's <laughs> another big difference. There was a thing I saw that they took like the college players, like basketball players and baseball players and they'll ask them like, Hey, do you know what like this is? And they'll show like a thing of a VHS tape and they're like, what is a VHS? <laughs> like they yeah. don't even know what a VHS tape is. Yeah. When we were kids, they still used VHS tapes. Like when yeah, we were small when we kids, were younger. When yeah, we were, yeah. yeah. Like four, just five, died six out years all of a old. Sudden. Yeah, it seemed like all of a sudden they just <laughs> they became extinct. completely obsolete. They come out with a DVD, <laughs> and you and you didn't have to rewind the DVD, and you just put it in and it played. Uh, but yeah, I I remember we had Lion King and everything else for Garrett to watch, and all kinds of videos and stuff. And you're right, they just dropped off like. I mean, like off a cliff, just one day they were gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did Gary, didn't you have, uh, he had some old VHS tapes he found and they were like worth a lot of money now. Didn't you have a bunch of them? I had, yeah, I had some. He had like the original Lion King. Uh, what else? there's and some one. Dalmatian. I had like a hundred, within a hundred print Dalmatian. Yeah, they movie. were worth a substantial amount of cash <laughs> online. It's for collectors, I guess. I don't Dude know. Dude came by in the yard sale and told me that. <laughs> Oh, I did. So we'll see. And you sold it for twenty five. We'll see. If, we'll see if it's true. <laughs> we'll see if it's true. Yeah. No. So speaking of jobs, like your, you had odd jobs in high school, and and we talked about your childhood before we go into like your actual jobs. What would be, what would be something that you would offer, like a nugget of wisdom to a kid or a teenager growing up in today's world? In today's world, and. <clears throat> As of this podcast is on April 5th, 2020, and uh, in case somebody's listening to this 10 years down the road, we're right in the middle of a Corona's Chinese Wuhan China 
virus 19 and we're all you know it's a pandemic and we're all kind of sequestered away from each other and everything and i think there's going to be some changes in our country coming up and i think it's going to be for the better but if i was talking to somebody that was 15 16 years old and you know education is a is an enormous thing it's a great thing to get a good education to you can basically school as a whole college anything should be preparing you for your future and your future should be to be as good as you can be i'm not saying everybody should be rich but you should try to make a living supply provide for your family or your children your wife uh, and and college is not for everybody uh I went for a couple of years. It really wasn't for me. I had no business being there, but I enjoyed my time while I was there. I'll tell you that. But, you know, a, a good trade these days, um, a welder, electrician, a plumber, um, there's whole lots of specialty jobs that you can do. Uh, I knew when I was young that, I wanted to be a UPS driver because when I was a little kid back in the late 70s, uh, I saw this this brown truck go by, and Mom said, that's not the mailman. He's a special, he's a special guy. He delivers packages. And I thought, how cool would it be to drive around all summer with your doors open delivering <laughs> packages, man? And then I ran into some some I, I worked in some different places that had a shipping dock and and I worked at Subway uh and I got to know some drivers and and I figured out that they made a pretty good living they had a good retirement they had good benefits and all that and I thought thanks Gippy that's my way right there that's that's where I need to go and so I did everything I focused on trying to get a job there at, at UPS and and what I'm saying is is you don't have to go to college to be a success in life Never close a door that's opened because you never know, and I think I told Will this, you never know what, what's going to happen someday when you get a job. You may get a job at, at whatever, and you think, man, I'm just going to do this until I can do something better. And then all of a sudden, this, this job turns into a pretty good opportunity that's going to be a good provider for you and your family, and it's going to be great. And and not always is the amount of money you make and all that, but sometimes the amount of time that you have or maybe your hours you work or whatever are good for, for you. And that's, you know, when you look at that. But I would tell anybody, uh, don't close any doors on any opportunities. And, and you don't have to be a college-educated kid to be a success in life. You can get you a trade and be a, I mean, a plumber makes a good living. And around here, you know, our plumbers are, are stretched pretty thin. We could use a couple more plumbers to work because there's a lot of work out there for them. So that's what I would tell any of the young people today. Awesome. Yeah. We've said that before. It, it, you have to put into consideration the time in a job, too. You exactly. Know, you can make 
a ton of money, but you could also might work a ton of hours. You know, right. if your time is more important than the money, then you know you might not make as much money, but you have more time for yourself and your family and stuff like that. So, well, my dad's told me for years. My dad's eighty-seven years old, still playing music. He's not right now because of the the, the deal, but he's still playing music and this and that. And he tells me, and it's as I get older, I'm fifty-three, and as I get over older every year, it makes more sense when he says, "Hey, son, time's." worth more than money because you don't you only have so much time and so that's just something you need to think about you know uh i was very fortunate ups was a different situation than it is now back when when you guys were young and i was you know trying to help coach a little baseball and stuff i could run of course i was younger then and i could run hard all day and get get in in time for for practices or or make it to the ball games and all that and it worked out i in today's time it would be very difficult for me to be able to do what i did back then and so at that time it worked out really good for me and then once i was through that chapter of my life now uh i can't get off as early as i once did but uh it's still i mean I, I, I like my job. I mean, I'm one of the few, I guess it does, but I like my job. That's awesome. That's what's important. You got to like it. You got to yeah. do it. You need to yeah. like it at least. So what were some jobs that you had leading up to UPS? Like, cause I mean, we all, we all shoot for something greater, but it's, it's the jobs, it's the jobs along the way that really make us appreciate the job that we have now. So what were some of those jobs for you? Well, some know, of the ones that weren't so great and some of the ones that were. Well, you know, I milked cows, which for, for a guy just a mile, half mile down the road here, and he was a great boss, and I really enjoyed milking cows, so that was good. But I learned a lot. I learned a lot from that because you have to milk those cows whether you feel like it or not. At Christmas morning, Christmas night, you know, you're milking cows. I mean, you have to milk them every day. And, and and it really saddens me that the dairy farms and the chicken farms, because when I was a kid, there was chicken farms and dairy farms everywhere around here. And a lot of kids I went to school with were from those farms and stuff. And it really saddens me now that we don't have any dairy farms in the county. And we used to be full of dairy farms. Then uh, <clears throat> I got the job at the radio station with Sid. And then I moved to Conway. I had the desire to move to the big city of Conway. And I got a job at Arkansas Chemicals, which was called Archem. The building blew up here, I don't know how many years ago, but <laughs> the building blew up and it's no longer there. But um, uh, I worked in a chemical plant. It was uh, industrial strength cleaning supplies. Uh, you know, most anything that you wanted that to do. That sounds carcinogenic. Yeah, it could have been. I, I, I yeah. So uh, I did that for a couple, three years, and I learned a lot there. I met a lot of people. That's where I met some of the drivers at UPS. And uh, then I decided that uh, maybe I should go to college. This was about 21. And uh, I got a job at Subway. And I met some really uh, good folks there. Uh, met a few more UPS drivers. Went to school at UCA for a couple of years. Uh, worked at worked at Subway. Uh, then I uh, I met some folks at the gym. I used to work out quite a bit. I met some folks at the gym, and 
they were needing somebody at Spalding Athletics in Conway, a little sporting goods store. And so I applied there and got a job there and uh, was still going to school. And then I finally got the opportunity. I filled out an application for UPS in the, in the fall of 89. And uh, I got a call from a lady named Dee Rainwater. And uh, Dee said, hey, I'm, I'm a HR at UPS, and I've been looking at your application here. And she said, I think I know you. And I said, well, I think I know you too. And she said, well, why don't you come over to uh, the hub over here in Conway on whatever day and, and uh, let, me, let me visit with you. And I said, okay. So d- during my lunch break from Spalding's, I went home, uh, got my suit and tie out and because uh, i'm old school man and back when i was applying for a job you come in with a suit and tie on i don't care if you was going to get a job at the garbage truck you know you dressed up if you want that job so i rushed home put on my suit and my tie you know my jacket sports coat whatever and i went over there and she said i knew i knew you when she saw me she said i used to deliver to you over there at our kim used to used to come in and you'd make my sandwich at Subway. You knew what I wanted at Subway. Then I was working at Spalding's and I was buying my work gloves there and delivered there to you. And she said, when can you start? And I said, just whenever you need me to. And she said, okay, I'll get back with you. So I started, seems like it was sometime in November of 89 and uh, worked all through Christmas, coldest Christmas we had had. It never got above like 20 something degrees for two or three weeks. My car, I had a little car, a little, uh, a little, uh, Datsun 260Z, a little sports. Yeah. is a, (laughs) is a little sports car. It's an older car. It's a 74 model. I should have never bought it, but I wanted a sports car. I was going to college. I wanted a sports car. A Datsun. Is a Datsun, but it didn't run for two weeks. I had to borrow a, I had to borrow my boss's (laughs) old farm truck and, and, uh, hitch a ride when I could. And uh, I went over and worked that, and then they called me back January 24th, 1990. I've been there ever since. So, but that's, I worked at, when I was, I I left Spalding's a little later after that. I was working part-time at UPS. I left Spalding's and went to the Target Distribution Center down in Maumel, which was a big warehouse that shipped out trailers uh, of of good products to all the target locations around the the area and I worked down there and it it was a good it was a good you know job it paid paid pretty well I was making a little pretty good living and uh and then uh I quit there and and worked strictly at UPS so played in at one time I was playing in three bands working two jobs <laughs> Which way we're gonna get to your your music life, but just kind of wanted to hear you know your progression professionally and like you know where you came from to where you are now. So I mean, I can I can attest UPS has done him done him well had provide provided for me. I know that's the thing, especially today's day and age. Everybody's buying packages online. Yeah, and they yes. need the packages delivered. So yes, and, and I'm happy job security. To, I'm happy to do it. <laughs> I'm happy to do it every day, and I appreciate my job. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I feel like during this pandemic we're in right now, you know, like I say, I'm running the the uh, commercial part of Clinton uh, for the most part. I probably run eighty percent or ninety percent of the businesses in Clinton right now, and and some residentials down on the lake and such. 
And I take it seriously that I am providing for my community up here. Um, I'm going to work each and every day trying to be safe and, and clean through the pandemic. But I also have a job to do to bring the goods, uh, you know, medicines or whatever to the to the people of of my area. And, and I take that job seriously. There you go. That's true. So that's that's your your professional side of things. But as far as, you know, just just your philosophy on life and, you know, the way that you kind of think of things, if you could put that into words but also kind of speak on some of the influences or mentors that you've had along the way that have shaped that i've i've had lots of lots of people in my life that you know my parents were big influences on me but but i had some other people that i've had at various jobs that were big influences there was a guy named uh dennis akins from from kgfl radio he went by gene denny and he was very very knowledgeable and very wise and he was always a mentor to me when I worked with him up there and uh and and a guy down the road here that that worked at UPS that I knew back before I ever started working at UPS Richard Oates mm. was always he was always really wise about some stuff and he he mentored me a little bit of course he ragged on me really hard too all the time and still does when I when I see him he's He's very hard on me and everything, but he's always been a wise mentor to me too uh, over the years. So, uh, my philosophy on life though is, is I just try to be a better person today than I was yesterday and be better tomorrow. I try to treat everybody with dignity and respect and show love, um, it's difficult sometimes because you got a lot of idiots out there, but, uh, you know, you still have to overlook those idiots, but I just try to be better and try to be more considerate as a, as a, as a male, especially, uh, someone who's done all the things that I've done. Sometimes men generally are pretty self-interest. Pretty much, we think of ourselves an awful lot. And as I get older, I'm trying to do that. And, and my wife, Jessie, has been a good influence on me as far as that. And I try to treat her. And I'll give you some advice, guys, on your women. And this is all to the, because I know a lot of guys listen to this podcast. I'll take any advice I can get, man. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you this. And this is what I, I probably told you this, and you probably don't remember it because it was at your wedding. And I've told Josh this, and I've told John William this and all that, but um, women are not a possession, but you should treat your significant other as your prized possession. Because if you put her needs before your needs, she's going to put your needs before her needs, and you're going to have a, an amazing life together as a, as a married couple, as a, as a couple. And if you don't do that, then it's going to be a miserable time. and you just try to be considerate of them uh, more than you are of yourself because it will pay you back tenfold over time. And so that's the advice I give you on, on couple. Uh, I have an amazing marriage, the, the happiest I've ever been in my life. So, and that's just because we consider 
each other before we consider ourselves. So, yeah, that's beautiful. Does that make I sense? Loved, yeah. yeah, that was that was okay. nice. I enjoyed that. Okay. <clears throat> so, uh, one thing that you kind of glossed over within your your time and and growing up and stuff in your college years is that you also were a cheerleader. I was a cheerleader at UCA. I had no business being there because it was <laughs> it was way above my head. But like I say, I was I worked out at the gym. Uh, it was Conway Nollis and Fitness out on Prince Street. I'd been there for several years. I worked out in that gym quite a bit, and I made some friends out there. One of them was a guy named Barry Grant, who lives in Kansas City, uh, Missouri right now. And Barry was like a lifelong cheerleader. I think he he almost drew a pension because he had, he had been there for so long at UCA. And I knew him, and I knew a guy named Kent Welch, who was Huggy Bear, which was the mascot at UCA. And uh, and they were, it, it was over uh, uh, the winter of 1987, uh, they, uh, they come to me. I'd, I'd been working out. And, I, and at that point in my life, I was in excellent physical condition. Um, I was running six miles a day, three miles over to the gym, work out for an hour, get on the bike, ride, whatever, did aerobics, run home, whatever. I mean, I had endless amounts of energy. I could run. I, I mean, I was solid as a rock. They said, well, we've had some, we've had some people graduate and this and that. Would you be interested in being a cheerleader? I said, well, I don't know. I said, you know, they said, well, I'll tell you what, there was a gymnastics center over where the old Dixie cafe was. And, uh, they said, well, we've got, we've got a few of the girls coming in. Uh, why don't you come over there and just give it a try? So I get over there, and you have, you know, Miss UCA, Miss Body Beautiful and all that in there, and they're cheerleaders. And I'm like, this can't be a bad deal, man. <laughs> so I'm like, That's yeah. That's an asset. I, I, yeah. I said, hey, I, I'm in. I'll try this, you know. And I never was a tumbler. I couldn't do any kind of gymnastics or anything, but I was a good base. And, uh, and I made the squad in the uh, spring of, uh, 88 and, uh, and then, uh, in the fall of 88, I made the squad, but I bailed out in the, at, uh, at the end of that year and, mm-hmm. uh, and at the end of 88, I bailed out at the semester cause it was, we were gone an awful lot and it was fun i had a great time i was also a big brother to the alpha sigma alpha sorority so i got to go you know to a lot of things with with those girls i made a lot of good friends at uca that i'm still friends with today i ran into a guy named wesley simpson at ryan steakhouse the last time we were up there and me and him cheered together we were friends back then and i mean you know whenever i run into somebody you know we're we're good friends and and you make lifelong friends in situations like that. And it was a lot of fun. Had a, got a, had a lot of fun. I got a lot of opportunities to meet some people that that uh, I still, you know, am, consider friends today. And I, although I don't see them once every 10 years, but I still, you know, shake their hand and, and hug their neck and glad to see them. Yeah, it's a breath of fresh air when you run into somebody like that that you, you built a connection with that you hadn't seen in a long time. Definitely. Yeah. That's also a good lesson, too. You know, you did something that you weren't completely comfortable with, but, you know, you can always find a positive out of a strange situation. Sometimes you, know? you have to get out of that comfort zone. Get out of the comfort zone. For sure. 
Well, you kind of alluded to this, but music has been a big part of your life. And before you go into anything on, uh, you know, some of your accomplishments and what it means to you to kind of be a musician and some of the experiences that you've had, uh, it's it's. I just remember growing up as a kid, always having music going, and I feel like that's kind of been a, been a theme throughout this uh, this family lineage that we have. Because Grandpa always talks about how his parents had music going. I'm sure he always had music going, and so I just want you to take us through your musical journey. Okay. Well, like you say, my dad. My dad is known, not only was he county clerk up here for 24 years, uh, from the early 60s to 1984, 85, somewhere along in there, he retired uh, from being the county clerk and all that, but he played music for, my gosh, since in the, sometime in the 50s. And he's played around all over. People know him. Of course, a lot of people are dead now because he's, I mean, you know, he comes from, he's 87, but all my life, there's people know my dad around because he was a piano player and, and he played all over the place. You know, my brother was a really good guitar player. Uh, everybody, you know, knows him and, and knows, you know, his guitar playing and all that. And, uh, I picked up the bass. Well, the bass is kind of like the fly on the wall over here, but where where I felt like I contributed a lot to the music, the family music, because at one time my brother, my dad, and I, and a, and a, we had a couple of drummers, but we had a band together. And where I felt like I carried my weight is I owned a lot of PA gear that I still have today, and I could set it all up. I could mix the sound. I could get it all working right and put a sound together. I normally wrote the song list, booked the jobs, and took care of the financial situation with all the club owners. And I sang a lot of songs and played a lot of bass. Uh, was I a hot musician as far as like my dad was or like my brother was I didn't think so but I contributed my part uh and I'm still a bass player and I played I played with several bands um you know I I was playing with a couple of few guys just a couple of years ago we played a few times a year and all that but I played with some guys from Leslie and uh Carl Massey Randall Housley and Charlie Bradley we played a little country band, and uh, and I did more of the uh, rockabilly blues and some of the off-the-wall stuff, and we played a lot of music then, too. I, I mean, we had a very successful band. Uh, I, I've, I've enjoyed playing uh, a lot of music. Um, I played some genres of music, you know, different things. Um, what were some of those genres of music that you played? Well, we played... Uh, we played a lot of older country. We played some rockabilly stuff. We played some blues. Uh, I've played some rock and roll. Um, I play with a band uh, called the uh, Groove Injectors that was pretty, uh, it's, more, it's kind of a bluesy rock, but it was a pretty hard, hard rocking group. Uh, we didn't play a lot. It was more fun. I had jam sessions here in my shop 
you know, which I call the old goats club. If you look on Google Earth at where my house is, right there beside it is the old goats club music venue. Uh, <laughs> is it really? <laughs> look, look that up. But uh, I played, I played with, uh, I played with a lot of different guys. We used to have jam sessions down here with just a bunch of the old guys that, you know, back in the day, we didn't have all the social media and all that. But during during my twenties, uh, we put on a lot of outdoor concert shows. I called them field hippie parties or whatever, you know, cow pasture. In fact, we we uh, we told everybody one summer we were on the cow pass tour. And uh, because we played, <laughs> we played outdoor shows about once a month for the, for probably a couple of years. Uh, we had a couple of grape jams up at, up on, uh, going out 16 toward all red. Uh, but we had, we had parties in the field. We had concerts in the field. I could get, you know, a couple of bands to come and we would, uh, do the Leslie homecoming, you know, we did it up on Trace Ridge Road and it was out, you know, in the middle of fields, the un, unofficial Leslie homecoming. It was out in the middle of a, of a field, you know, and we played the chuck wagon races and stuff, you know, and, uh, we played outside a lot. And I felt like during my time when I was a younger man and had the energy to do it, and it took very little for me to come and set up a whole bunch of PA gear and play. It took very little. It takes a whole lot now for me to do that. I, I'm not sure if there's enough money to get me to go set it all back up and play again because it's a lot of work. And I'm just, you know, I'm, like I say, I'm 53 years old. I'm not that young man anymore. But back in my 20s, I set that stuff up all the time. And we played. We supplied entertainment around the area for several years. We played a lot of outdoor stuff. And we supplied a lot of entertainment. I made a lot of friends. I never felt like I was, I joke around with Jessie and tell her she didn't know me when I was a rock star, but I never felt like I was a celebrity of any kind. I never felt like a rock star. I was just, I was there playing music for my friends and having a good time with my friends. And I never felt like that I was uh, anything above anybody else. I was always just, just happened to be there playing. You know, so, and it was a lot of fun. I had a good time. I met a lot of great friends. I made a lot of good music. Um, you know, it was fun. Uh, I've kind of, I've kind of retired from that now. I really don't play out other than at church some. Uh, and someday I may start back. I don't know. I have not, I haven't found anything that just inspired me to, to do it. So. That's kind of where I'm at. But, yeah, music's always been a part of my life. And Garrett and I were discussing maybe yesterday the, the raw sounds of some stuff that I like now. I mean, I don't like, I don't like it too uh, perfect. I like music to be a little bit raw. I like a little raw guitar, you know, and, and I don't need a whole lot, of, whole lot in it to, for me to like it. So Yeah. What are some of the, uh, I, Garrett probably knows this because he talked to you a lot about it, but what were some of the, the bands and groups that, that you liked and influenced you whenever you, you know, first got into playing music? Well, we listened to a lot of old country when I was, when I was growing up. I mean, I can, 
I know so many songs, old country songs, because that's all that played around my house. But, but I live with I live with Tim Mahan. Um, I'm trying to remember what year we moved in together. Probably uh, sometime in '89. I was friends with Tim for years. We went to first grade together, and then he moved to Alaska, and uh, then he come back, and and we re- regained our friendship and all that. Well, we moved in together, and uh, he come up. He come out with this CD by a, a guy named Lonnie Mack. His name's Lonnie McIntosh from up in Indiana. He's passed away now, but but he went by Lonnie Mack as his as his professional name, and he had an album. He's had several. He he come out with Memphis instrumental in Memphis back in the fifties, but he had an album called Roadhouses and Dance Halls, and it the the first song on it was "I'm Too Rock for Country, Too Country for Rock and Roll," and that was like. That's who I am, man, because I like rock and roll. I love ACDC and stuff like that. But Lonnie Mack come to Juanita's down in uh, down in Little Rock, down on Main Street in Little Rock one time. We all got tickets and went down there. And he'd just come out with a new CD, and I bought it. It's, it's called Attack of the Killer V. It's live. And uh, so we went down to see Lonnie Mack, and, and I, really, I really was there and observed. I studied. I studied how Lonnie played. I studied how the dynamics of his sound. I studied how he didn't play things too fast. He played it where he could fit everything in. There was no frills, no thrills, no hula dancers, nothing like that. He got up there. I remember this just like it was yesterday. He got up there and said, let's dance. And he started jamming on that twin V guitar, that little that V guitar. And we danced all night, and and I could just just the sound the the hard driving sound of the drums and the smoothness of the bass and the and the way he played his guitar the the rhythm because he was a master rhythm player but he could also play lead he had a great piano player and they all just were so they were so tight and everything just fit just perfect like. The wheels and the, the cogs of the gears, they just all work just perfectly all night long. But they probably played 300 nights a year. And they were so good. They were so tight. And I learned so much from him. And it really, it really progressed my playing. Just, just studying him at Juanita's that night. I saw him twice down there. And, and it, just, it, it just really took me to the next level of playing because I learned a lot that I was trying to play too much on the bass, you know, and I figured out that that just playing a good hardcore solid rhythm was all I needed to do and let the let the guitar player and the piano player go out there and never never land and then when they got ready to come back down to earth, I was there waiting on them and they knew where to land that plane, you know? And that's kind of how I figured it. And so that's how I started playing. I saw that through Lonnie Mack, and I went down and saw the Stones uh, at War Memorial Stadium in Little Rock. And I watched, I studied that too. And I saw how uh, their bass player was, it wasn't the original bass player. It was after he had retired. And I watched how he played. And I said, man, I'm trying, I'm working way too hard. And so I started simplifying my, my, my licks and stuff. To just be the solid, f- fundamental rhythm of the song, 
and that just that changed the way I played. Lonnie Mac. I don't. I can't say I've ever listened or heard a Lonnie Mac song. He's if a good I, man. I, I got to go listen to one. So what's one I, I should listen to? Um, because as soon as I leave here, I'm gonna play it on the way home. Well, he he did a he did a live live album called uh, Attack of the Killer V, and one of the best songs. I mean, every song it's great. But listen to uh, Riding the Blinds. Riding the Blinds, baby. Okay, yeah. I'll listen to it on the way home, and I'll report back. Well. <laughs> I just don't drive too fast because <laughs> you'll drive fast. I feel you. Uh, I drove my wife's car. She has that thing in there that uh, you can set it to where the higher your speed, the the louder the, higher, the, the louder the yeah the car gets, and that's awesome. Yeah. I'll be listening to this the radio. Yeah. The radio will be, it'll be really jamming. Fast. It'll be jamming. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's so, awesome. I never heard that. I never. Yeah, that that, that was a good little. That was a good articulation of of kind of what 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 you grew up hearing music and how how you kind of picked it up and uh, ran with it. So that's that's good. I like that. So kind of changing gears here. Um, you're a man of many many hobbies and talents and things. Um, you've done quite a bit of traveling in your day. Yes, I have. So, um, kind of take us down the down the road of uh, why why you started, you know, planning these yearly vacations that you go on, and just before you do that, I want to say that that was that was very influential as a small child and a teenager um, going out and skiing in Colorado and Utah and seeing Alaska and Hawaii and all of these different different destinations that I went on, it was very, very influential on some of the values and goals that I have in life. So what uh what got you into that? What what drew you to um traveling? Well m- my dad has always been a traveler. When we were young, we always went somewhere for, for two weeks in the summer on vacation. Uh, I'd been all over the place, you know, I, I couldn't tell you how many States I've been in because a bunch of them, I was extremely young, but I always really loved the mountains of Colorado and all this and that. And, and, uh, I, after my dad and I went on some vacations, probably the year after I graduated was the last time. Well, we went to Las Vegas probably in 1998, August of 98 together. But my after I graduated high school, we went on a two-week road trip, vacation, just me and him, California, whatever, because my dad's been all over. He's lived in several places when he's 17 years old. He was, he'd done moved to Detroit and Kansas City and lived in San Francisco and all that. And so uh, I, I'd done a lot of traveling with him. And then after I started working at UPS, I, I did, we didn't really – we didn't take very many trips at that point other than just short trips here and there, you know, uh, spent a lot of my vacation time just around the house doing various things. And I, I, I got off on a few ski trips and a friend of mine that, uh, that I met on my route when I was running West Conway's now his name's, uh, Donnie quick. Donnie's an oral surgeon, uh, very good guy, but always very good to me. We, 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 we hit it off real quick when he, first got out of uh out of school and come to Conway and opened up a shop his brother 
Mike was my orthodontist and Barry was your orthodontist. Yep. And I'm friends with all three of them. And then they got Bob in uh, New Mexico. But but I went skiing with Donnie several times. Uh, we'd go to Lake Tahoe or whatever, snow skiing, this and that. In fact, you went with us a couple of times, snow skiing. And Donnie told me something one time that really hit home because we'd, we'd gone on just some, you know, we went to Orange Beach and, and we spent three or four nights down there on a, on a vacation. And, and it was fun. I ain't knocking that trip at all. That was fun. But Donnie said, you know, your vacations are important because you won't remember all these times out here working, but you'll remember when you go on this vacation to wherever you go and you did this and did that. And so after, after he kind of told me that, I got to thinking, yeah, I mean, why are we not going somewhere? And I think the next year after that was when we decided to pull you out of school. You had you had some days. You had some days at Clinton when you were probably you just turned nine. And you had some days and so we decided to go to Disney World. And so we went to Disney World. We took Garrett to Disney World. And so we had a good time at Disney World. And so from then on it's like we're going to try to take a week and go somewhere every year because we want it to count, you know. And, and we went to Myrtle Beach one time. Uh, but it, I think it's just important that you have those memories of going places and, and being somewhere for, a, I mean, for a week. Go somewhere and just get away and enjoy your time together and experience new things. Yeah, for sure. And it was, it was super influential. Um, like, like you were saying, when Donnie said that, it kind of hit you, and it it hit me when we went to all of these different places, and it's like, you know, I, I definitely want to, you know, have goals and achieve things and be a professional and be able to provide, but it's like, if, if I don't, you know, go and see and do and experience, you know, things that I want to with the people that I love. Like, am I really, am I really working for something that's valuable to me? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Uh, I know, I don't know when you guys started, uh, when did you first get a camper coach, Sam? I noticed you, you guys go camping a lot too. And yeah. I was going to ask what's like your, uh, not just going on trips and things like that. You know, you can go on vacations, but you can't go, on vacation, you know, every month or every week. But you guys go to, you know, the parks around the state a lot. So I was going to ask, what's your favorite thing about going and seeing all these, you know, state parks and national parks? And just what what is it that, that makes you want to go out and be in the outdoors? And on top of that, what are some of the places that you've been that are some of the most mentionable places? Well, the the thing about camping in a camper, and we... I'm trying to remember when we got that. Probably we got our first one probably in 2008, and we've camped. You know, our our justification was we had to, and it's going to be hard this year because of the pandemic. But we try to at least uh, take eight to nine camping trips, and that's usually most every trip is at least three to four nights because we try to do them over vacation, long weekends, and this and that. But the thing about camping in a camper is who goes with you and you know me and jesse have talked a lot about you know we've never camped just me and jesse 
because we've always went with my folks. Uh, we've got some folks from church that we go with that go as a group. Then we've got, you know, Shane and Amanda that's, uh, that are, are they're kind of our running buddies and Tim and Jan, some more of our running buddies that, you know, that go with us. But, uh, uh, it's going and setting up and, and spending three nights out with your friends and stuff and just fellowship with them. Uh, you know, we, we go, uh, depends on the year, depends on what's going on. We, we kind of live by what the weather allows us to do. If it's if it's really cool, uh, we like to go hiking. We're, so we're going to camp where we can go hiking. If it's in a time where there's lots of water and the weather is relatively warm, then we're going to have our kayaks with us and we're going to go kayaking. If it's hot, we're going to camp around a lake somewhere that we can take the boat out and go swimming. Um, uh, we go to, uh, Lake Dardanelle, which is a beautiful lake. We figured out that Lake Dardanelle is not a swimming lake. It's more of a fishing lake. Uh, it's got some beautiful sunsets. It's a nice, nice park, but we have been up there for Thanksgiving, probably the last three or four or five years. And just that's, you know, we booked those way in advance. Uh, we love, we love shady oaks and harrison uh we were up there last fall in october and actually garrett and kendall got to come down and spend some time with us and we had i don't know how many campers probably six campers up there with us that time but that day was that weekend was just a good time we cooked a bunch of food and just really had a good time we did a little hiking played some cornhole bago you know just all kinds of stuff and just had a good time. It's just it's just being around people that you like being around and spending time together doing things. That's 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 what's good about camping. You know, there's a lot of work to it, setting it up, tearing it down. It's it's not any major deal. But honestly that becomes kind of part of once you learn how to do it, that's that's kind of part of the ritual, just like getting everything set up, and it's like you worked for this, you're going to enjoy this moment with other people, and it, it is. It's another level of connectivity with yes. people when you're outdoors like that. Sitting around a campfire is therapeutic. It is therapeutic, sitting around a campfire. We were up there, Garrett played the guitar for us, sang some songs. I mean, sitting around a campfire with a guitar playing, and, and it's cool outside, and and just really enjoying the fellowship amongst everybody that that was there was just it's just a good time i mean that's pretty much how it is yeah Yeah, with your comrades it is we played we played a game where you had to tell stories is basically it'd go around in a circle and you tell stories embarrassing stories well what it was the what it what originally started was the, the game was tell something that nobody here knows that about you tell tell something about you that nobody else knows about and so, it, and it was great it was a good game it really was it, they, i, I kind of like that because there, cool. there was probably 10 8 to 10 people playing and it, it was just it was just great to hear some people like just bizarre things you would never think about people yeah get to know them better though yeah because yeah. once you the more you get to know somebody the more you connect with them 
You exactly. Know? So you're out there to connect anyway. So you're just get making a deeper connection with the with the For friends sure. that you got already. So For sure. You might be making some better friendships than you previously had. So what are some of the of your favorite places that you have been? In camping or vacation? Uh vacationing, camping. I mean, I know that, that the Ozarks kind of have a special place in your heart, but, but some places that you have been that are just, you got to go there. Well, Jesse and I went on our, uh, we, we were married 15 years, September 10th of, of last year, and we planned way ahead, and we planned a trip to Glacier Park, which is the northern part of Montana. And it's the northwestern part of Montana. And uh, we had a really good time. Jesse, you know, my whole thing with with Jesse on that is I just tell her, hey, you plan it, you put it together, and I'll make it happen. And so that's pretty much what she did. She booked us a, a little cabin on the east side of Glacier Park. We did some hiking. We took some pictures of some moose. Um, you know, we saw some bear, we did, we did some hiking, we did some driving, uh, we, we was on the east side for a couple of days, we went over to the west side, uh, we drove up into Canada, and Jesse and I are notorious, and Shane and Amanda are, are they go with us, I, I tell people, and I tell Shane this all the time, Shane and Amanda Widener are, are our running buddies, and you know, when you go with, with some people, you feel like you got to entertain them. But I tell old Shane, I say, you know, we could take off over here and I could show you an outhouse. And somehow or another, we'd have a dang good time just looking at that outhouse. And that's it's because there's no pressure to that I'm going to go, well, they didn't have a good time. They didn't have as much fun as I had, you know, because we're going to have a good time. But me and Jesse are notorious with Shane and Amanda, too about getting in a vehicle and ending up where, I mean, nobody, I mean, you can't imagine. So we were up in Glacier Park, and we had a rental car. It was a little Nissan SUV, small and mini, kind of like an Acadia or something. And there was a place called, I have to remember what it's called because we called it two or three things. We called it Pole Barn, but it's called Pole Bridge, Pole Bridge, Montana. And it's it's not far from the border of Alaska. And Pole Bridge, they make these elderberry, I think that's what it was, uh, turnovers. And so we were going to drive up there one evening uh, after we'd been out hiking and this and that all day. So we got in, we took off up there. And uh, so we get all the way up there and, and we pull in. And this is, it's a dirt road. And you get up there and... There's supposed to be a steakhouse there, too. Well, the steakhouse, this, is, this was on like a Wednesday. The steakhouse is only open Friday and Saturday nights, and we're up there on Wednesday or Thursday, probably Wednesday. And so as soon as we pull in, and it's, it's just a, it's just a open field, dirt road, and they're just all of a sudden you show up, and there's a few houses at Pole Bridge. There's a couple, three houses and one little street, and it's dirt. And there's a general store. It's kind of like going to OARC up there where you get the burger. Mm. And so, but as soon as you open that door of the vehicle, you can smell. I mean, the aroma is just, 
I mean, your mouth strong. It's strong. Your mouth is water, and you're thinking, I got to have one of these. So we go in and we get one and share. Me and Jesse share a lot of food together. You know, we just we whatever. But anyway, we get one, and so we get back in the vehicle and we're eating it, and it's really good. I mean, it's really good. And so we go to driving around, and next thing you know, we're up this dirt road, and we come across a a gate of a national park, glacier park office, you know. And we asked the guy, I said, what's up here? And they go, well, there's Lake Kitna and a couple other places up here. So we said, well, we're going we're gonna to drive up there, you know. It's not far. So we drive and we drive and we drive and we drive. And I'm like, Jesse, we're going to run out of gas. We're not careful, you know. So we wind up driving up there and and we finally get to this campground. And it's very, very primitive campground. But we get some pictures of Lake Kitna. We hit it at the right time. The sun was in the perfect, the perfect position behind us. And you're looking at this crystal clear water with these big round rocks laying out, you know, that you can see. And then the mountains are over here and the mountains over there. And the sun's kitting them just perfect. And we get some pictures. You got one on the wall? Yeah. I don't know if it's, it may be that one right up there. But perfect picture of Lake Kitna. And so we take our pictures because we take a lot of pictures. We got thousands of pictures. We take pictures of it and we get back in the we get back in the vehicle and I'm I'm getting nervous because we're down to a quarter of a tank of gas. And I mean, we have driven two hours, you know. And I'm like, man, I hope we get out of here. And so we just keep we just keep chugging back, you know, trying to trying to do all we can to conserve gas and everything. And we made it back, and we were so tired. We were we were going to go back, and we were talking about what we were going to have for dinner that night. And uh, we come across a Burger King restaurant. And we just went through the drive through and got us a Burger King. Went back to the <laughs> went back to the room. And normally we don't eat fast food, but at this point we'd been hiking all day. We'd been out since seven o'clock that morning and uh we were hungry and tired and so we just went back to the room so you enjoyed glacier i enjoyed glacier glacier park was really awesome uh and again it was me and jesse just us not that we don't enjoy hanging out with everybody else and doing you know with our friends and stuff but this was a 15-year wedding anniversary for us Mm. and and you know, it was just a special time. It was just me and her, and we went up and had a good time. We, we I'd tell you a quick story. We stayed in a cabin in uh, Hungry Horse, Montana, which is right out of California. Hungry Horse. Hungry Horse, Montana. And it was, a, it was a group of cabins, and they had a little restaurant down there. But as we were driving up, we were at the top of the hill uh, up at the back. And as we were driving up, I was noticing it, it had an upstairs. The bedroom was in the upstairs. It had a downstairs. Everything was downstairs. And then you went upstairs to the bedroom. Well, it had this great big old window up at the top in the front. And I was kind of looking at that. I was kind of watching that. And so I told Jesse when we get in there, I said, hey, um, 
if you uh, if you don't have all your clothes on, you don't want to be standing up there by the bed because people can see you up there, especially at night when there's lights on inside the the cab cabin. Yeah. yeah. And so she didn't believe me. So I said, well, you run down there after dark down the hill on the road and I'll stand up up here. And when, uh, when she come back, she was a little paranoid about that because you could, you know, you couldn't see you laying in the bed, but if you stood up there by the dresser, if you didn't have everything on, you were a peep show. So (laughs) (laughs) as a little quick story about Glacier Park and at the hungry horse cabins. That that's awesome. That's awesome. So Glacier was one of your favorites, and like like Will was admiring the pictures. You've definitely been been many places. I thought Yellowstone was completely awesome too, but we wouldn't have seen everything that which we didn't see everything that Yellowstone had to offer. But we wouldn't have seen as much of Yellowstone and a lot of the spectacular things of Yellowstone if Kate hadn't brought that book that she got out of the library and read up on and all that and marked a bunch of stuff of you need to get out and walk up here or drive down here or go over here to see this, we wouldn't have seen a lot of things because Yellowstone is a lot of driving, but you got to get out of the car and check it out, you know. And then that's just like that's just like the time we were in San Francisco and we got up at 4.30 in the morning and drove down to the Golden Gate Bridge down there to that where that uh, military thing was, that old military thing was. And saw the uh, the fog, you know, and the bridge, and you got that picture of you on the swing on the bridge. Um, you know, we wouldn't have seen that. We uh, if and Mike Elliott, a guy I work with, was just he was telling me the other day. We were telling a guy about our trip to Alaska when we went up there and had that rental van, you know, and we got in with that guy and he pulled the sign off the side that said something tours or whatever i can't remember what it was and threw another sign on it and we went up and saw a glacier you know we wouldn't have seen all the, the that big glacier and all that it had to do had we not gone that extra mile to go check it out i mean there's just so many spectacular things about everywhere we go you know uh denali park was awesome we saw grizzly bears running almost up and get on the bus with us you know in denali park up in alaska and and Denali was one of my favorites. Denali was awesome. I mean, you can't. It's hard for me to say that was my favorite, but but one of my favorite times was was me and Jesse up in in uh, Glacier Park. We had a good time at that time. But but I mean, Hawaii snorkeling, Hawaii was awesome. Going up to the volcano in Hawaii was awesome. The pineapple farm, which was not even on my radar. I was just going to go because I'm a team player to the pineapple farm. Turned out to be one of the greatest things we did out there. It was awesome. I <laughs> mean, was you awesome. know, some good pineapple, the fresh pineapples, eh? But yeah. we went up to uh, we went up to uh, uh, New England uh, a few years ago, and uh, well, during the leaf change, we we were a week ahead. But uh, we went up there and did a did a big drive around. That was an. I mean, there was a. We were out on the on the coast off of uh portland maine up there on the coast eating eating uh seafood out of a little hole in the wall joint right there on the beach it was awesome uh i had a room in uh on uh i had a room on the 20 or the 32nd floor of i can't remember the hotel it was 
uh, on the Canadian side overlooking uh, Niagara Falls. Uh, we we laid there in the bed and looked at Niagara Falls all lit up all night from the Canadian side. I mean, there's just a whole lot to see out there, and, and that's why you got to go. Yeah. If you don't go, you don't see it. Yeah. That's a good good point. Definitely. I definitely want to get, get to where I, I can do that. Um, got to get through school first, get a little money, <laughs> but you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in Arkansas that we see that oh, I yeah. I didn't even know existed until the last four or five years of us hiking, uh, seeing some things that, I mean, that are, that are phenomenal just in the state of Arkansas. And that doesn't cost a whole lot of money to, to do. It yeah, just, for sure. And I've, I've definitely, definitely taken advantage of that. And I was actually going to get you to speak a little bit because, uh, one thing that I noticed was that our vacations were a little different when y'all got into hiking. It's like the things that we did were a little bit different because y'all y'all just all of a sudden one year just pick, kind of picked up hiking. So speak a little bit to that. Why, what got y'all into that all of a sudden? Well, you know, for, for many years, our, our lives evolved around Garrett and sporting events and school events and prom and Garrett whatever was going on in Garrett's life we were we were there to be supportive to help out any way we could to do whatever needed to be done we were willing and able to do it and this time is coming for will yes yeah. <laughs> and so when when Garrett graduated high school uh right after the 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 day after we win the state tournament in baseball in Fayetteville, I think it was the very next day we come back and y'all graduated. Was that not right? I think so. It yeah, was either the day right. or the next like day. It was, I can't remember exactly, but then two weeks later, you guys moved down to Conway. And so me and Jesse were so wore out. First, we didn't know is is emotional too because we didn't know what we were going to do. I mean, because it all – the the chapter of our lives that we had been living since we'd been together come to an end. And it was like, well, we gotta put that book down. Or that chapter down, not that book, but that chapter. We gotta we gotta turn the page and start our next chapter here. And so we were really tired, really tired. And we spent that summer pretty much just lounging. We were just, we didn't do much. Uh, we did take a trip that year, and I can't remember which trip it was, but we did take a trip in July, and I can't remember which one it was. But we it may have been the Portland. We flew into, I think we may have flew into Portland. It might have been that one. Or because did, that was when I was, I was still, still gripping because I was just now getting into hiking. And I was like, we need to, we went through the Redwoods and we stopped a few different times, but I was like, well, I want to go through hiking. And y'all hadn't necessarily picked up hiking yet, so I think that was the summer that y'all took off was when we went down Highway 101 on yeah. the West Coast. Yeah, that was an awesome trip, too. Yeah, it was. That I mean, the, the Redwoods and all that was an I mean, and the trip we took to the Smoky Mountains was just freaking awesome, too. It was a great mm-hmm. one. And, I mean... And that I think that was the year after. That was two years after. Smoky Mountains was two years because after. y'all were into hiking at that point. Yeah, we, we were, were into hiking. We hit waterfall after. Yeah, waterfall. We, we walked y'all to death that week. That, that week. Yeah, <laughs> it was good. But uh, 
we 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 kind of regrouped because we were tired. We were physically and mentally and emotionally drained at that point. Uh, from from I mean, I took off two or three weeks in a row for you know district regionals. I announced the regional games. Um, we we get in a vehicle and take off. I don't know where we wound up. I mean, it all runs together. But you know, you you win district one night. As soon as you get the trophy and your hoorah and all that's over, we load up as many as we can get in the Acadia and we take off to a track meet. You know, for the next day that we got the state track meet. You know, so that's kind of how we were rolling at that time for several years there. And um, so we took that summer off of just, you know, just just being around the house a little bit. And we didn't know hardly what we were going to do. And then then we got into hiking that fall. About It took us till about October to figure out what we were going to do. And so we got into hiking, and, uh, and we started hiking, and we started training. You know, we, we post a lot of pictures on Facebook. Jesse posts a lot of pictures on Facebook. And I, I've always wanted to say this, and I don't know how many people will hear this. I hope a bunch. But we, we take a lot of pictures, and we post them on Facebook. And, and when we run into people all the time, they're going, oh, we love those pictures, and thank you for posting those pictures, places we'd never get to go and all that. And, and Facebook and social media as a whole is a false it's, – it's fake. It's all fake. Because people try to show that they're so happy all the time, and, and it's fake a lot of times. But what I want to tell people, and I want to explain this, and I thought about doing a, a little documentary on Facebook about it, but uh, we post those pictures on Facebook, and there's nothing fake about them. We don't, we don't, we don't mess with the photo. It's, you see what, what you see is what you get, okay? And we're out having a good time on Saturdays, and we have a great time on Saturdays. And there's been days that we've left at, at 6.45 in the morning and get home at 10.30 at night from hiking and go hiking and seeing all this stuff and having a great time and all that. But I'm going to tell you, folks, our, here's, a, here's an average week for me and Jesse. We get up most mornings at 4.40. We drive down here to Southside School, and your mom used to walk with us a lot down there. Uh, and we walked that hill between 10 and 13 times, probably five mornings a week, okay? We come back, we hurry around, we get ready for work, we get to work uh, about 7.30. Jesse immediately starts to work, and I go through my truck trying to kind of look it over. We work all day. We come home. There's nights that I've got home at 8.30 and get a little bit to eat, take a shower, go to bed because we got to get up at 4.40, okay? That's a typical day for us. Um, come in, you're tired. Friday night, you know, pretty low-key for us because we're tired. And Saturday morning, sometimes when I wake up, it's like I really would just like to lay here in the bed. But I know my wife wants to go hiking. and so. Again, what I'm telling you, you got to think of her needs and what she wants. And so I get up, and, I, and I'm enthusiastic about it. And by the time we get in the vehicle pulling out, I'm gung-ho. I'm ready to roll. I'm so fired up. And I'm on cloud nine all day. And we go hiking. And we may, be, and we may see a bunch of stuff. We go hiking. We go kayaking. We go to the lake, whatever we do. 
our our Saturdays is our date day. That's we're doing something together. And then Sundays we we pretty much rest. And there's been Sunday mornings that I've got up to go to church and just barely could get out the door, just being exhausted. But, you know, go to church, come in, take a nap, I'm ready for the week. So it's not all it's it's there's no fakeness in it at all as far as the pictures and the things that we go and do. There's no fakeness in that at all. But I want I wanted everybody to know that we train to go hiking like that. And it's training. I mean, you, if you're not in shape, hiking sucks. Because I've been on both. That's true. I've been on both <laughs> ends of the spectrum of that. I've been not in very good shape, and hiking sucks. But if you're in pretty good shape, and we're not in great shape, but we're in pretty good shape, then hiking is a lot of fun. And you see a lot of things. It's good for you. You get out in the fresh air. You enjoy the beauty of the, the Ozarks, which is incredible. There's so much incredible things in the Ozarks of Arkansas, up on the Buffalo River, up on Sildemore Creek. There's so much to see, so much to do, and we're up there trying to get it. We're trying to get it all in. We're trying to see. We're marking stuff off. We got a book, Tim Earth's book. If you hadn't got one, go get one. He's, he makes some great books of various things, and we're marking them off, and we're doing them. But uh, it's, it's not, you know, it's, it takes work. It takes it work and effort. It ain't just something. Oh, we're just gonna go. It takes work and effort. Planning. We're planning. We're planning most time Thursday and Friday what we're gonna do because you don't know what the weather is going to allow you to do. Mm-hmm. Garrett did that to me one time. He said, "Oh yeah, we're going hiking. It's gonna, it's a real cool thing. There's a waterfall down here." And then they, <laughs> and then he said, "Can't uh, holler, right?" <laughs> yeah. And he said, uh, "He said there's snakes, so I don't know if you want to wear shorts." I was like, I don't, don't wear wear short. I like, I don't got any what other pants I got, so I wore jeans. And then he was like, Well, you might not want to wear tennis shoes. You might want to wear boots. I was like, Okay. So I hiked the whole trail. It was like a hundred degrees. Uh, and is it, in is jeans during, and boots. It's during the summer. And let me just tell you though, Will, that you, was terrible. You saw that waterfall harder like you are in like probably the upper like 95th percentile of seeing that waterfall at its max because that it waterfall rained was raging though it rained so hard that night and we'll just brought it we'll brought a little hammock to sleep in no i was borrowing uh i was gonna sleep you know what the eno is coach sam yes i was gonna sleep in that and cover up my face with it and then latch it down so bugs wouldn't get in there and it started raining and we had to Sleep in a two-man tent. Three, three, people. three people deep. And, uh, wow, that was an experience. Hey, I'm glad that I look back on that memory fondly. I'm not going to lie. It was a good I'll time. I'll never forget it, that's for sure. Well, the, It was an awesome waterfall, though. Your parents, we, we, I think we rent your dad because uh, he, he come up. We, were, we had cabins up, up in, in that area, and your, your folks come up. And uh, Was you with us that day? No, I don't think I so. Think it's so. just your parents, no, well, I, I think. There. And uh, we took them down to Hemden in Hollow, and that's not a good, that's not a good first trip because it's that's a tough, <laughs> not, not for somebody out of shape like I was. That's a tough, that's a tough hike, and uh, and and our rule of thumb on hiking, if it's going to be above sixty degrees, we're not going. We're going to go do something else. A lot of times, that's when we go kayaking. When kayaking season rolls around, if it's above 60 and there's water, we're going to kayak. If it's below 60, then we're going to go hike. So that's kind of how we I play. Like, I feel like that's a good strategy. That's a good strategy. That's kind of how we play the, the March, April weather. Yeah. 
Well, I feel like we've got a pretty good pretty good picture of you. Are there any other questions that you're uh, dying to ask, Will? No, I pretty much had had the same ones about the outdoors. Uh, that's about it. Well, right. to finish it up, though, we always uh, like to ask the question. You know, what would you? Well, I, I was gonna. I was. I, just... I'm not gonna go there yet, but um, I kind of have the. My last question would be, uh, something like that. Um, it, it's a crazy time we're living in, and uh, you've lived a lot longer than than me and Gary have, and seen a lot more things than we have. Um, so I just wanted to ask, like, what would, what would be a way that we as people can contribute to the society that we that we live in because it's a it's a much different time like what can we do not not necessarily as a society altogether but just like us as individuals to help you know promote a solid lifestyle and just a a solid way of um i guess just being better people and promoting the doing our part for society even though we're you know not major players i guess well everybody's a major player regardless of what you think and and I, I I I don't read very much, but I was in a, involved in a, a little thing that I was watching and uh, Prager University. And if you don't know who Prager University is, it's it's a good one to watch. But but he made some good points, and and I kind of look at this, and you're and you're talking about changing society, okay? And there's a faction of the country that that's the education system has changed over the years. And as a whole, the education system, they try to change society. But when I was a kid, we were taught in school a character curriculum, and it was your character. In my opinion, and, and I'm, a, I'm a conservative person. I live conservatively. I live, I, I don't just preach it. I live it. I live conservatively. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm almost a libertarian because I, I don't like to tell people, and Garrett's going to laugh at this because I tell him what to do a lot of times, but it's because I love him and I want the best for him. And, and I know, it, you know, but anyway, I'm a libertarian and, and I love you too, Will. And, and I'm not, you know, I, I, I don't tell you what to do because you're not my child, but Sometimes I I go, boy, I should tell Will he needs to do this. But anyway, you give me some good advice. Uh, uh, as a whole, we were taught a character, a self character, and the way you change society. And some people think you have to legislate everything to change a society, but the way you change a society is you have good moral character yourself. You work on your good moral to changing yourself to be a moral person. And you change yourself to be a moral. If everybody works on being a high moral, high character individual, the society will change. Because I can't tell people what to do because that that's not my role. Now my role as a father is to try to help Garrett be as good as he can be, but I can't force him to be. He's 24 years old now. I'm a libertarian. I don't like to tell people what to do, but I live my lifestyle and as as a conservative, 
And I try to treat everybody with respect and dignity, and I expect to be treated with respect and dignity. I live my life. I don't, I don't buy things that I cannot afford to pay for. I don't want to be deep in debt. I try to live within my means. I like to live below my means because it doesn't matter how much money you make. If you spend every dime of it, you're not going to have anything. And if everything you owe, everything you have is owed on, you don't have anything anyways. It's true. And yep. you're, you're 72 hours from living in a third world country all the time. And you're starting to see that now when you can't go to the store and get anything you want like, we, like we've been used to having. So 72 hours away from a, a third world country, okay? So it'd be pretty good to have your little nest egg sitting over here, you know what I mean, with supplies and a little cash and all, all that. So I'm, I'm a libertarian pretty much. I don't like telling anybody what to do, but I think that everybody should, uh, should have to pay the consequences for their decisions that they make. And I don't think that's too much. But I think everybody, instead of changing society as a whole, because that's what y'all been, y'all been taught is we need to change society as a whole. Everything, we all, no, you work on Will's character and moral values and be high moral, high character individual. And you work on Garrett's morals and character and, and you change yourselves to be better people and, and make those around you better, then as a society, we get better. I like that. Character curriculum. I will remember that. I do, too. I That's like that a lot. I like that terminology. Yeah. So you, you spoke on, you know, obviously I'm your, I'm your child. Will's fixing to have a child. Is there any advice that you would give Will in these upcoming months that he's going to experience? I'll take any advice I can get. Holy cow. We well, kind of talked about that last time. But. One, thing, one thing you need to do. And uh, Garrett, his mother and I, are, we, we were apart when Garrett was about two years old. But I always backed his mother whenever. Probably the worst spanking Garrett got was when his mother called me crying one day when she was upset because and, and, Garrett had been a real, a real booger at school or something. I can't remember what all happened. It's been years ago. He was still, he was still young then. But he got, I talked to him pretty bad that that day on the phone because i i wasn't i wasn't there yet i hadn't got a hold of him yet probably the worst whooping he got when he told my mom his grandma to mind her own beeswax (laughs) (laughs) grandma sue i'm surprised she didn't kill you right there well she called me and she was on the verge of killing him but (laughs) but he was the golden child and and she couldn't do anything with him but the only thing i can tell you will is um Spend as much time, quality time, doing quality things, building a good character, good morals to your child. Uh, uh, count, uh, count on Courtney to, to help you and you be of help of her. Like I told you before, she is not a possession, but she is your prized possession because she's fixing to be the mother of your child. And if you treat her with the utmost dignity and respect, put her on a pedestal, and put God in your life first, both of you, and and do the right things and be high moral, high character and all that and do as much as you can and with your child when they're young and stuff because I'm going to tell you, by the time they get about 12 or 14, you're not the biggest, biggest influence on that child anymore. It's the surrounding 
people, the kids. And the more you can teach them and show them high morals, high character at a young age, the better they're going to be. And also find some find some parents with kids about the same age that are like-minded same value same moral moral character and all that that you hang out with and spend time with and try and you can't pick your friends your kids friends but you can you can influence it a little bit on who you hang out with when they're young and that's going to be important and that's that's about the only advice and 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 be consistent in what you say and what you do and i've probably failed that in, as a parent not being totally completely consistent uh and and i'm i'm probably a helicopter dad too much even now at 24 but you know i i've i've made lots of foolish mistakes in my life and I learn from them, and it's hard for me to see Garrett make the same ones, and because I, I try not to make the same mistake twice, and I learn, you know, like I say, I'm an old C student from Southside, but I got a lot of hard knocks. I used to have an old T-shirt that said "Graduate of the College of Hard Knocks," and that was pretty much it. And uh, I learn, you know, from my mistakes. And if I touch the stove and get burnt, you will never see me touch that stove again. I like that. That's good advice. That was good. I like that too. <laughs> good thing about that is, if I forget it, I can go back and listen to it again. You can go back and listen to it, and if you if you need to, if you I'll need advice, you, again. you just, you just you. give me a call. I'll tell you. I'll call you again. I'll yeah. tell you. So, <laughs> wow how how long we've we been rolling, Will? One forty five. Wow. He, he, he said before we started, Coach Sam said this is going to be the shortest one y'all ever done. I, I figured it'd be a twenty minute for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't even we didn't even go through y'all y'all didn't I, I listened to most of, I, I guess the only one I haven't listened to is the last one you put on but I've listened to uh, all y'all all all your podcasts and and uh, it's you know you go through I knew the format you go through what we did this week and Will's like I don't know what I did this week I can't remember <laughs> I do remember I I even remember what I did this week so we I didn't even go through what fun. we did this last week so. That's okay. We yeah. Well, we really don't have much to do because we're yeah, all... Yeah, we just kind of quarantine. We're all quarantined. And so honestly, I kind of like to... Like Dad said, sometimes we do. We take like 20 minutes talking about about our weeks. We can uh, we can dive in occasionally. Hey, we just go with the flow. Exactly. That's all we're doing. That's the best way. We started into it. Time was right. The f- Once an idea gets flowing, you can't just cut it off. You got to just keep rolling just with keep, it. Keep yeah. going. No, but uh, thanks, thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I, I, I'm I'm honored to be here. But I think I think a lot of Will, and of course Garrett's my son, and I love him tremendously, and I love Will tremendously, and I feel like you know I got a bunch of guys that I coach in baseball, which we didn't even talk about, but I coach in baseball, and I feel like they're my kids, and and I love them all dearly. So yeah, we we appreciate talking about mentors earlier. We appreciate you being one of our mentors when you know you're that's a critical age as a young man learning a sport and learning to work with others and compete at the same time and having having a solid mentor is extremely important in that time well i had a good group a good group of kids a good group of parents and jeff uh pennington and lynn rains were excellent uh coaches with me and uh, i had a good support group there and we're lucky to have 
the good kids and the good parents that that we had. We had a good group of people, and it, you know we made lifelong friends. Lifelong friends. We That's should true. eventually talk to your dad. He'd be an interesting one to talk to with all yeah. his guitars and how he fixes them up. And yeah, it'd be interesting. That would if be he, if he would do it. I don't know if he'd do it or not. You don't think he'd do it? He he would do it. He's just not a real talkative guy. That's hey. That's okay. You get you get people to talk, and it's not even like they're they're talking in front of all these people. It's just we're we're just having this conversation. He is good. He is a good conversator, though. If yeah. you get to talking with him, he just he just won't strike up a conversation. I right? would enjoy to hear what Jeff Pennington has to say wow. for sure. But anyways, I guess we're gonna shut her down. You can find me on Instagram at Gary the Great ninety six and at Garrett dot columns. Um. Go ahead, Will. Oh, you can find me on Instagram at Will underscore Pennington zero zero and on Twitter at the Scavenger twenty three. You can find our podcast at Casual Conversation Podcast on Instagram. Once again, that's at Casual Conversation Podcast. Coach Sam, if somebody wants to see your Facebook pics, I'm just on Facebook at Sam Columns on Facebook, and I'm not. I think I've got a Instagram or something, but I don't even know what it is. (laughs) Everything I've got is Sam Columns. Just look it up, and I'm there. (laughs) <laughs> simple as that All right, easy well, enough thanks again for coming on we enjoyed having you and we'll have the podcast up soon you can go listen to yourself talk it's a it's kind of a weird experience kind of weird alright thanks thanks for having me and everybody thanks for listening alright Gary out later